review, y'all. Jump. The rest of the film. Jump. With my boy, John Hastings. John Hastings open his bitch. And that new Dylan got broke. Dylan got. So what you got? You know what it is. Come on. Hello, Dylan. Are you excited to talk? Oh, hello, John. I mean, I like that we were trying to make an effort not to talk over each other, and then we just inadvertently did it right there. Welcome, everyone. It's hard with the delay. It really is. It's a very difficult thing. Guys, we're broadcasting from two different places during a fucking pandemic, and we're talking about Ooh. 1987. Basically, it, the year that Vince McMahon proved himself right. Oh, what a year it was. He... Oh, 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 yeah. This is the year when Vince McMahon fucking nutted in envelopes and said unto anyone who told him, that is perverse, Vince. Because this is basically, if I owned a wrestling territory in 1987, and I see that, depending if you're Dave Meltzer and believes that there's anywhere between 45 and 75,000 people there, or 93,000 people there, that's the day where I just go, time to sell to this guy. Whoopsie. <laughs> Yeah, that's my favorite part about WrestleMania 3 is that Meltzer was like, they'll probably only have 45,000 people in there, and then they had 78,000, and then said it was 92,000. Like, it's so funny to me that they were like, 78 isn't a big enough number. This is professional no, wrestling. No. Hulk Hogan is not, which he actually is, six foot four. He is fucking six foot... Uh, no, wait, he actually is six foot six at this time. He's six eight now. He's 300 pounds, not 270. Like, it's like... Those are six six two seventy is still very big. You don't need him to be like, and he's a million feet tall. And you know what? He knocked out the fucking moon yeah. yesterday. And you know, and you know, doggy style position. He invented that. <laughs> yeah, it used to be called America style. No faces, just commerce. Yeah, I want to see my friend's wife's back, not her face. <laughs> Bubba the cum sponge <laughs> Imagine in 1987 If you could walk up to Vince McMahon And be like See that tall guy right over there In like 30 years time You have to fire him Because he said what The word that you used To refer to everyone In this locker room And he did A thing so weird The internet went What? Also I just want to say this About all the territories This is the noise That they made Starting in 1987 that was insane. That was so Do you want to stop? You shit your pants. I did not. It was all air. Oh, that was fantastic. It was also the torque of the. <laughs> you, I could just sound, just by the sound of it, you have a wide asshole. I do have a, I have a girthy asshole. I'd be a real treat to a wide cocked man. <laughs> a guy who can't, who's usually made a lot of other men feel uncomfortable based on the width of his penis, I could welcome him into my asshole with relative ease. With with spare room, he could bring friends. He could, do it. He could put a finger in there too, which I, I got to tell you, I'm never not I'm never not a fan of. Get a finger in there. Yeah, yeah. Put put your balls in there. Why not? I imagine that'd be great. Balls on there. <laughs> dick shaft. Oh, you've never done that. I mean, I I've never done it in a sexual manner, but I've had some pranks pulled on me that were hilarious. <laughs> it's. And then I easily put my balls yeah, in your speaking ass. Of putting, Very speaking funny. of balls in your ass, the reason why Vince McMahon wanted to uh, hold WrestleMania three in the Pontiac Silverdome is because the Pope had delivered a mass there and a lot of people showed up and he wanted to beat the number of people that listened to the Pope. Vince McMahon, hell yes. Inadvertently getting vengeance on all of those kids that were raped by putting a, um, a sex criminal of a different color Pick anyone on the roster at that time uh, in front of 78 to 93,000 people. Welcome to WrestleMania 3. Vince McMahon get, got into the ring, announced welcome to WrestleMania 3, stood in front of his first employee, and then I assumed he made Howard Finkel watch him shit immediately after that. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not the most coked up thing I've ever heard is just him doing lines and then looking at like whoever he's hanging out with, because it's like 6 a.m. and all the original people he was doing drugs with have left. It's like him just looking up at like Brian B. Blair going like, I'm going to outdraw the Pope. <laughs> and Brian B. Blair goes, I think there's some real money in me uh, being a son fight loser too. Like I just, people's sons beat me up. What do you think? Let me throw it out there, Vince. Uh, what, 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 the kids, they just beat me up and then, and then, and then, and then I just get to go home. Trying to beat up your son and then having him beat you up is very funny, and I've never... That's one of my favorite things 
I'll mention that as much as you mentioned the Pedro Morales title reign. Oh, you mean the Pedro... <laughs> Brian B. Blair got beat up by his son. <laughs> oh, you, you, you mentioned as much as the fact that they took the title off of Pedro Morales because Vince McMahon Sr. felt that there were too many Puerto Ricans stabbing each other at Madison Square Garden. How has... God damn right. How has wrestling survived the social justice revolution of the last few years? It truly proves... That some people are bulletproof. Um, well, no, because mainstream, it's not as mainstream. This is the it, funny it is thing. Where it's like Vince has always wanted wrestling to be mainstream, but it's just to the left of mainstream. And I don't mean politically. I just mean like it's like in the parlance yeah. of mainstream, but just not there. It's like, like what if every magician turned out to be a sexual assaulter? The most, most people would just think, oh, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Look how they dress. No one dresses in that velvet and teases their hair in 2020 without wanting to be alone with someone when they don't want to be You're alone. telling me there's health code violations at the carnival? I can't believe it. <laughs> That's why I eat yeah. here. My favorite thing I've seen, I drove around and a uh, hot dog cart guy still of open. Of course. That's an optimistic Welcome man. Welcome to Toronto. I, I remember there was a snap blizzard in Toronto. So for those of you who don't know, Toronto has a shitload of good to diarrhea inducing hot dog stands that are just always open at any time of the day oh yeah, yeah. if you if you want to just shit that's why i moved there just <laughs> shit chunks out your ass if you want to piss out your ass but your piss is filled with meat fucking get yourself a toronto street <laughs> dog but uh, yeah the first time i had food from a cart was the way place i'd move if i was in new york or la i'd just be like i'm staying yeah, of course i'm just gonna live here near these tacos till i die what was it in England you figured out and you couldn't get over? Was it was it you that found out that they bought just single boiled eggs and you were like, what a bunch of fucking losers? No, it was hot dogs in a can and uh, the fact that when you buy a hot dog on the street there, it's like they just put they put like an entire onion oh, on it yeah. and no sauce and they're like, here you go. It's like, oh, doesn't there like um, sauces and other stuff? Nope. You want a hot dog, yeah. right? So here it is. This is a baked raccoon <laughs> and uh, now an entire onion I've grilled because we hate food. Yeah. I, my favorite part about Britain is order a sandwich. If you don't specify you want lettuce, tomato, mayonnaise, anything else on that sandwich, you're just getting the main title ingredient of yeah. the sandwich. Every... Every English meal is essentially what a North American makes when they come home hammered from the bar and they think, you know what, I'm just going to cook for myself at home. It's like chicken fingers that were supposed to be in the oven for 14 minutes, but you're just like, hurry up. <laughs> ah, there you go. Oh, no, I don't have ketchup. Okay, I'll just dip them in this vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> you know who was dipping uh, some fucking shit in vinegar if he liked it, I guess? Segway. Vince McGoddamn Man. 1987, by the way, is this is the crazy thing about 99 and 98 is that they actually surpassed 1987 as far as relevance in the mainstream somehow, because they have two Hulk Hogan's, but everyone thought that this was as big as wrestling could possibly get. This is essentially like, this is the Beatles fucking taking America this year. Yeah, this is like, do you have to understand it's also, this is also the beginning of Vince McMahon really building his, the myth and legend, such as within the media community, Vince McMahon is considered the king of pay-per-view. If you look at how UFC and boxing have used pay-per-view, it's very much in... Uh, reaction to how Vince McMahon is using that's because Vince McMahon has built himself a cult of personality around certain business decisions he made. If you look at Hobson's research this week, of course he had no idea and it was architect by one of his employees, Jim Troy, who had been working in television his entire career and understood the value of pay-per-view and how to do it. And Vince just basically listened, took the idea, and people assumed that it was him. He spent his time traveling the convention circuits for both pay-per-view and syndicated television with wrestlers in tow to build up their audience and build up relationships with all those people. Also, the WWF ended up on 300 fucking stations, which is up 160 from 1986. They also, this is when the Fox Network, yes. this is also when the Fox Network debuts in the States, which is incredibly important because basically the States is one of those places where it had always had three networks, much like Britain had, like BBC and then ITV and Channel 4. Fox came in to challenge ABC, AB, uh, NBC, and CBS. 
and just needed fucking 24-hour content but had real no money to pay. So they just put wrestling on and they put stand-up comedy on. And suddenly they are in so many different places, so many different territories, and they're competing with, in some cases, the local territory that's in a smoky, weird, half-empty arena, or it's this slick, weird show where the most famous man in wrestling is running around. It looks way more fucking more exciting and slick. Yeah, and they've this is, by the way, they've already learned how to film wrestling well to make it look like a television show from your boy Dick Eversall. Mm. They're fucking releasing a goddamn video game that's turn-based at this time, Micro League Wrestling. I didn't know about that until Neither now, and until I'm reading this, and it was turn-based. Cool. What does that mean, though? That means you press, put them in headlock, and then it's like, you put them in headlock, oh. and then the other guy pressed uh, trip them, and the other guy is like, oh, you tripped them. That's it. That sounds so boring. It's very boring, but it's a lot like uh, there's still turn-based games out there. The Final Fantasy games for the longest time were turn-based. I don't know if they are yeah, now. Yeah, because we're not um, fucking but They did nerds. a Final Fantasy VII re-release that everyone is very, very excited about. So this is uh, this is the main stumbling block. Uh, I didn't really know about this before this episode. I'm sure a lot of people here listening do because you guys are nerd-ass nerds, but I didn't know Andre didn't really want to wrestle in WrestleMania 3. Really? And Vince had to... Yeah, Vince had to... Um, no, my... Sh- YOLO. He had to... Commit- my shock was you didn't know that. That, that. that was the famous story of he was kind of on his way out, because this is actually something I'd like to talk about. This is this is one of the last times where Vince McMahon doesn't have power over everyone on his roster. He can't say yes. at this time he made everyone on that roster. He can say that now. He could say that in the Attitude Era... With some argument. I don't think it's true, but he could he could make an argument for it. Andre the Giant was his dad's boy. Andre was loyal to Vince McMahon Jr., but Andre wasn't a good soldier in the takeover of other territories, which, by the way, Vince's dad was complicit in as well. Um, Andre was loyal to a different company in Japan. Andre was loyal to a lot of different territories. I get, And also, by the way, Andre probably didn't like he wasn't the number one guy in the company anymore. He Say what you want about yeah. the lore of Andre. When it boils down to it, he is someone that Dylan and I have dealt with a lot, which was the at one time successful, now super drunk guy. I think everyone has that guy in their profession, the one dude at your work who's like, should, who was your boss, and then maybe you got promoted ahead of him, and now he like looks at you like, why the fuck are you where I yeah, should Yeah, the be? dynamic of this podcast, for example. It started off, Dylan was the alpha. Yeah, I no, surpassed. No, I surpassed. Don't steal my joke, Dylan. I no. surpassed. I used, to be, I used to be just but a humble 15-year-old. Now, I'm 19, hanging out with a 38-year-old I'm guy. I'm 34, and we were born in the same year. And why, for the purposes of this, would you want to be 15? 19. I was 15, <laughs> and you were like, hey, you want to do a podcast with me? And I was like, you know what? I know, I know that I'm being groomed, but I think I'm strong enough to fend him off. I was. Now, podcast genius dylan got 19 fresh head of hair look me up yeah. online i'm 19 i have a ponytail <laughs> and uh i got those upper dick muscles people oh, yeah. have <laughs> by the way i groomed him for greatness not pedophilia that's the record the, for the no no he groomed me for oh, pedophilia, i did not specifically would you like me to start a podcast i'll groom you for pedophilia no, that's, that's what, what dylan said. says said to his wife and she was like no dylan's getting divorced yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah twice I don't know how you do it twice, but she was like, can I divorce twice? The judge was like, in this case, yes. I just enjoyed that your comeback to you're getting a divorce is, yeah, more than once, though. That's how good at divorce. Yeah, That's yeah, how yeah. good at divorce I am. Yeah. If I ever got divorced, I'd fucking convince her to get back with me and then divorce her. Be like, uh, you don't divorce me, I divorce you. Fuck off. Here's my lawyer, Clarence Mason. For those of you who wanted wanted to picture this at home, Dylan's glasses will be upside down on his face during all of this. Ooh, yeah, upside down on my dick's face. (laughs) Oh, yo, 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 man. I'm fucking hard now. Andre, convinced by Vince McMahon, Vince flies to the set of The Princess Bride, and I'm assuming holds up a picture of Jim Troy with a gun in his mother's mouth. And uh, of Andre's mother's mouth, and then Andre goes, "Okay, I'll do it." And then this leads to, of course, the famous Piper's Pit segment, where Andre rips the crucifix off Hogan's chest. And the most, one of the most iconic symbols in wrestling history is Hogan on his knees, asking Andre why he's sided with Bobby Heenan. 
when it's crazy to me to think of Bobby Heenan as that that much of a uh, villain, firstly. Secondly, they have not seen blood in the WWF in like four years, but in those four years, he's expanded his audience a million deep percent. It's also, by the way, the blood, which is very interesting, comes from the chest. Andre scratched his chest as he mm-hmm. rips off the shirt. Um, also, they built this in a very interesting way, which was Jesse Ventura positing that um, he doesn't think that Andre likes Hogan much anymore. Then the next week, they had a ceremony where Hulk Hogan was awarding Andre the Giant a trophy um, for being undefeated for so long. And then Hogan got a bigger trophy for being the champion for three years. Yeah. Which is so fucking subtly good. And Andre just storms the fuck out. And then they have this... Which I remember when I watched it, long segment, not realizing that I would live in the era of three-hour Raws, when it's literally four minutes of just Jesse and Roddy being like, we got to figure this out. What do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Can you get Hogan here? Yep, I can get Andre here. And then Andre shows up with Bobby Heenan. And watch the clip. The crowd, as soon as Bobby Heenan walks out with Andre, the crowd goes fucking bat fuck. Like, they're just like, holy fucking shit. This fucking guy is fuck Because... In our context as wrestling fans, Andre was always the fucking villain. To so many of that, so much of that audience, especially where it was shot in Upper New York State, he was. It was like Hulk Hogan um, dropping the leg on uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Like it mm. was like, yeah, he was always the friendly giant. He was the guy who made you go home happy because, like, oh, at least Andre beat yeah. up everybody, even if the heel. It's wins. so nice that that man who smells like my dad's breath during the Christmas holidays beat up all those smaller men and then asked me. Where does my mom like to piss? <laughs> I bet she's got a nice tight fucking cunt on her, doesn't she? Andre, no. Eh, what is she where you were born and then put my cock in there? No, Andre, no. I can't fit in the shower, so I like to have women piss on me. Ah. <laughs> oh, what a man Andre was. This is, of course, February. Roddy Piper... Uh, takes starts taking a hiatus. He says he retires. Of course, takes a hiatus from wrestling, which is crazy because now Vince McMahon. It's 1987. His company has reached a zenith for sure, but he only really started in earnest being successful three years ago. And now the guy who helped his company be successful is leaving, and the guy who he could rely on for a solid gate for the last 15 fucking years is after this match essentially going to be not like essentially going to be not working anymore. He does of course do return matches with Hogan and stuff like that for sure for a couple years. So actually I destroyed my own point. John say Uh, something. Roddy Piper leaving at this point really shows that Roddy Piper is a savvy territorial performer because to leave at this moment and go to Hollywood, basically the argument Roddy can make to Vince McMahon is I helped you get that big. And when I left, you weren't that big. And also, he sees the right... That's very smart because he sees that, like, all right, 78,000 people... Like, he probably had pre-sales and knew the numbers. Mm. And he's like, we're going to really sell out this fucking arena. This is the... There's no higher peak you can get to. Like, there's no way they're going to be like, we've shut down Cincinnati. We're doing one entire wrestling event. One million people will attend. Like, it's not going to get bigger than this. So I'll just leave at the peak. And then when I come back... He exactly like you said, he can be like, oh, what, you're not doing as well now? Remember when I was one of your top guys and you drew 78,000 people? Well, fucking pay up, you fat bitch. Absolutely. And this is, by the way, Vince doesn't want this to happen because Jesse also had already left and gone to Hollywood and come back the year previous, which wasn't very much covered. Basically, one of the things that happened was... um, Also, they both did amazing films. They did amazing films, but they also got agents. Which means they... And, yes, and they got in a union, which is another very... Because Jesse always wanted to be in a union. He wanted the wrestlers to unionize. And then as soon as he got into the SAG union, the Screen Actors Guild, he went basically like, fuck this, fuck all these wrestlers, because they wouldn't support him. The reason why they wouldn't support him, by the way, is he said at WrestleMania 2, we say, you you unionize or we're not going on. And he got fucking nearly pulled off the show, and Vince found out about it because... Hulk Hogan told Vince, Hulk Hogan, you, of course fuck. he did. 
Florida, yeah, baby. Yeah, we don't go for unions. We only go for me fucking your wife while I say the N-word. Nice. Um, oh, you want the cops to show up? You better have enough money to pay them in cash. But again, this is a very... this is for, To understand the character of Vince McMahon, Jesse Ventura leaves, goes to Hollywood, comes back, has an agent. Jesse also, by the way, had to come back because NBC went... When we made uh, um, Saturday or Saturday Night's main event, we wanted Ventura. Ventura is our color commentator. No one else. You and that's why Vince then went out and did it with him as kind of a, like let's control, wanting to make sure that their star rises. Roddy leaving at the same point time is also smart in that I guarantee Roddy is savvy enough to go. I'm going to be in this movie. I'll get an agent, and then he quite famously always made McMahon talk to his agent moving forward to the point now that a lot of the wrestlers have agents. But this is, again, Vince then wanting to control people's names, control their trajectory in Hollywood. Getting half of The Rock's fucking money when he first goes to Hollywood is all born out of this exact month in 1987 when Vince loses Roddy Piper and Roddy announces he's retiring at WrestleMania 3. Also, Jim the Anvil Neidhart gets arrested but acquitted. Oh, no, he's indicted by a federal grand jury on the uh, charges of assaulting and interfering with a flight attendant. Why? Because fucking of course he did. I'm Jim the because he had some scotch and he wanted to. What's my defense? Well, I wanted to, baby. I'm Jim the Anvil. I'm on crack. My daughter seems nice, but in that <laughs> way that you know that I used to wake her up and call her mama whore. I'm Jim <laughs> the Anvil Nightheart. How did I live so long? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> It must have been crazy because Jim Neidhart does just look like a nice dad. And, like, I can totally see him in the suburbs and you're having a barbecue and you're like, this is fucking, I've really, Jim the Anvil Neidhart lives in my neighborhood. And then he just reaches into his weird fanny pack and you're like, oh, wrestlers in their fanny packs. And he just starts smoking crack in your backyard. Like, uh, what, are you burning paper? What is that? What are you fuck off, uh, (laughs) Anvil? Why don't you mind your business, how about that I won't fucking take a shit in your bathtub. I'll take a shit anywhere I want. Anvil, crack time. <laughs> Here's what I think it is with Jimmy Anvil Nightheart. You're having a barbecue, everything's really nice. Kids are playing, like, T-ball in the corner. Hey, fuck, hey, fuck you! Trap! Trap! Who's winning? Fuck better. Very <laughs> fucking you. Shirtless with a oh, fanny pack yeah. on. Hard. Right. My friend did um, color commentary for, like, a really shitty wrestling organization in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada, oh, yeah, when he was yeah. 19. And he said Jim the Envale Nightheart was there, and he had uh, 20 beers backstage. <laughs> that was his rider. He had 20 beers, and then he came out and <laughs> did a promo. But, like, he drank the beer so fast that he didn't really, like, start slurring until, like, a minute way through the <laughs> promo. And then it just kind of ended. He just went like, and that's when it all starts. You gotta, the sunshine. <laughs> and then everyone just, like, classic, like, four claps. Best drunken ring pro. I did see Ric Flair at a Ring of Honor show where he just talked about, I've had fun in Toronto. <laughs> and everyone went nuts. He was like, yeah, fucking fuck some people in Toronto. <laughs> uh, fucking, I've been laid before. I've had sex. Not a virgin here. Rick uh, I guarantee fucking tea. This is Natty Neidhart's thought every day. Um, if everything has a place, I won't cry. If everything is in order, no <laughs> chaos for Natty. Everyone be quiet. Daddy is sleeping hopefully forever or he will get angry <laughs> i think after the crack he was a I, nice man or maybe he kept do- i doing think he crack. kept doing crack he 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 had he was addicted to yeah. drugs jake the snake roberts snake pit uh replace uh, replaces uh, oh yes they had missy hyatt replace piper's pit it was a fucking disaster so they replaced that with the snake pit which is fa- i don't know if it's famous but i certainly had the jake the snake vhs tape and that is where Jake the Snake gets hit with the guitar mm-hmm. by Honky Tonk Man. They don't clear out the guts of the mm-hmm. guitar, making it horribly painful. And Jake fucking, I think it was his neck. It fucks up his neck really badly. And uh, he is, starts a painkiller addiction that uh, he ruins his life for years. A few people also said that Jake was not the same man. Like They literally were like... Oh, it cleared out all the good memories and only left the bad ones. Also, how well, did... This is on. obviously people don't... Uh, I just want to say concussions. 
can change yeah, your personality. Of course. Sorry. I also want to say this. How did I not know Missy Hyatt was briefly in the WWF? And also, how bad were yeah. those segments that Vince McMahon didn't just spaff all over the screen and just go, put her on top? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Vince McMahon spaffing all over the screen is what got her there. But she was re- she, Missy Hyatt got good in WCW. If you watch some WCW segments, she's like a veteran performer. But these are pretty bad. Like, there's one with Adrian Adonis where Adrian Adonis goes, you should be in the kitchen. <laughs> and she goes, no, I'm Missy Hyatt. I'm in my manor. And that's the uh, end of the song. But there's no way to, like, get Adrian Adonis off. So he just kind of runs off. He's so mad. It makes no sense. But it's like, usually on the interview segment, the, the something happens with the host or someone comes out and attacks but it's like Adrian Adonis just kind of walks off and Jimmy Hart his manager just goes oh that was rude of her or something um, WrestleMania 3 is an event so significant uh, that there are easily found quotes from Dave Meltzer to state that he did not think uh, that it would work he estimated a crowd of 45,000 and he was fucking wrong boyos uh, yeah take that fucking peanut hey, counter hey Meltzer this one's for you it's gonna be a fart <laughs> yeah oh nice yeah. That was for sure a shit. It of the almost pants. was. I had to really. It was, that was a co- That was a risk assessment analysis done in my head. It was fine. <laughs> so this is the thing. Seventy-eight thousand is what everyone talks about. But this gate, sorry, the gate generated one point six million. But the pay per view sold over a million, uh, which was netted the company ten point three million. Woo! Ten dollars a pay per view. Also, this is why the WWE Network starts is, uh, was the pay-per-view $10? No, it was 20 And you split that with the pay-per-view company right down the middle, 50-50, meaning you've incurred all the costs of putting on the event. Uh, everything, in obviously, everything to do with that. And just because they have a channel, they get half your fucking money, which for sure is frustrating. Especially for a guy like Vince McMahon, who probably sees that as a form of taxes. Yeah, but that's exactly what he sees, because Vince McMahon is one of those fucking capitalists that don't understand things of like, well, they have the means of distribution. Do you, are you going to pay for all the infrastructure <laughs> yeah. to set that up? No, I'm going to make a weird network that's intuitively difficult to use and for some reason promotes only my company, even though I've spent millions of dollars on tape libraries from these other companies, and I will not release all of them. And also, I'll make sure that all of my performers make less money and a time when all of my competition can use my model against me, and they are not there, and I'm not there to stop them. Very good. I'm Vince McMahon. Now, if you excuse me, I'm off to get my ribs removed so I can eat out my own ass. (laughs) Greatest po- greatest quote about this event was because Jake the Snake Roberts came out with uh, Alice Cooper as his manager, and Jake says, I like to say I have real clear memories, but I don't. But I do have some fun stuff that comes up from time <laughs> to time. That's what he said about WrestleMania 3. <laughs> Basically, I don't remember <laughs> the biggest crowd I perform of, but when I, when I have a flash of like, oh, sick, I did a guy. That's hey, here's fun. the thing to remember about me, Alice Cooper. Also, I think this is when Alice was sober, which is even funnier. Can you imagine that? Just a guy, just just a guy with his head in. Uh, oh, is the snake in that bag? No, this is the coke bag. Snake bag yeah. over there. Go 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 go. Danny Davis, the referee, switches uh, heel and becomes a heel wrestler wrestling in a ta- six man tag team match with the Bulldog against the Heart Foundation and Tito Santana. Uh, the six man element was added because the uh, Dynamite Kid had suffered the back injury that would eventually lead him to being in a wheelchair. He could walk at this point, as opposed to for a few weeks when he had to be piggybacked to the ring by Davy Boy, and then Davy Boy would wrestled the match why he didn't go to a hospital is because Vince McMahon is a monster and wanted to make his little puppet dance Bob Euchre uh, was the ring announcer for the main event and also did guest commentary on the event along with Mary Hart and I'm going to say this right now Bob Euchre is my favorite of all the Wrestlemania celebrities mostly because Bob Euchre is known for being one of the craziest people involved in baseball and was part of something called the the bags on you when other old athletes would uh, kidnap or try and kill each other and then you'd reveal at the last second by saying, haha, the bag's on you. <laughs> I like also, that. Bo- That's the kind of guy who exactly who works also, in wrestling. Also, Bob Uecker, by the way, refers to women as cock in one of the most amazing fucking things ever. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be better than that Sean Connery, Barbara Walters interview. Oh, where Sean Connery's just like, oh, I beat women. Sometimes yeah. you gotta smack where, them. Basically, the what? moment where everyone just went, ah, oh, yeah, I think I think we're done with Sean Connery. 
<laughs> yeah, Sean Connery has not been on television as much since then because his agent was like, you can't look at someone in earnest and be like, I hit women because sometimes they're fucking yeah. stupid. Here's the thing with that interview in particular is that Sean Connery doesn't come across as likable at the best of times. But watching that interview, it's like he's like, now I'm going to make people really not like me. And everyone's like, whoa. <laughs> I'm going to test how much you like your child. <laughs> Let me say this about Sean Connery. <laughs> nice. It's been a farty day. I'm having a real wild time over here because I haven't been also sticking the mic for all of them. I've been letting a couple of the more silent ones just go. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, obviously, WrestleMania 3 has the amazing, amazing uh, match with... Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and then Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. I don't know if you heard of that one. They had a little tussle. What? And here's the crazy part about that match is that Andre, uh, it was a shoot fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Hogan actually yeah, signed him. According to the Andre the Giant documentary, in one of the many fucking crimes of Hulk Hogan, oh, me and Andre never discussed the match, and I just I wrote it out, and then... He looked at it, and then we never talked about it, and then the match was exactly what I'd written about, which isn't fucking true. And then I had to fight him. Yeah, no, no, you didn't have to do any of that. And do you want to know how I know that? Because you've said the actual story in other places, Hulk, such as your book, you fucking asshole. His book is hilarious, because, like, and then that's when I created baseball. And that's when my dad told me, you're going to cure cancer. I dropped the leg, one, two, three... Slavery yeah. over. You're welcome. Mar- Martin Luther King, if it wasn't for me, his name would have been Martin Luther Prince. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. <laughs> no one does. After, after WrestleMania, demolition yeah! is added. And this is the crazy quote about, uh, fuck, who, whose quote is this? I want to get the quote right. It's mine. Um, oh, yeah, all right. So John said the best thing about WrestleMania was that they got six days off afterwards and just thinking about like and now they have to fucking work the next day it's, what's even better is who who actually said that quote old old can't beat his son in in, in a fight jim brunzel himself Ooh. no that jim brunzel never did anything brian b blair couldn't be oh, no, brian up. b blair sorry they couldn't be a more polar opposite tag team. Jim Brunzel, the nicest man in the world, where they're doing a shoot interview and they're trying to get him to bad talk someone. And then he teases. He's like, well, this, he underpaid me on an event once. And then the, you can feel everyone <laughs> interviewing him lean in. He's like, but that later paid me total. Just <laughs> <laughs> hear them snapping pencils like, I gave you 50 bucks to tell me what Sonny's pussy tastes like, and you're just telling me which places have the best BLTs. Yeah, here's the thing you got to remember about a club sandwich. The best place to get it is actually at a golf club, because go- club is in the name. <laughs> I'll go in golf club, play the fee. I say, you keep that. I just want your club sandwiches. They say, who are you? I say, my name's Jim. Anyway, they gave me a job. <laughs> I don't have to show up. And just give me a job. Give me some money. It's for me, Jim Brunzel. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> uh, other fun matches were Haiti Kid, Hillbilly Jim, and Little Beaver defeating King Kong Buddy, Little Tokyo, and Lord Little Beaver. <laughs> Little Beaver. Yo, nice. yo, yo. Hey, <laughs> well, there you go. That was out of your Little Beaver. <laughs> yo, 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 yeah, man, out of my Lord Little fucking Brook, bud. Um, Nice. During the uh, Alice Cooper said in relation to that match, backstage there were four midgets, his words, not mine, uh, that were wrestlers, and they were all yelling at King Kong Buddy, who was seven feet nine. He certainly wasn't Alice Cooper. And one of them was going, Absolutely you not. said you weren't going to slam us. And Bundy, who was uh, said in a sheepish voice, I'm sorry, it was so funny. <laughs> King Kong Bundy has one thing in common with Eddie Guerrero. First match, main event, first match again. Yeah. Holy shit. King Kong Bundy and Eddie Guerrero, the top workers of their time. I want to talk about Demolition, though, because I think Demolition doesn't get enough credit. Were they kind of a ripoff of the Road Warriors? Yes. Uh, Was it enough that it didn't matter? Do I still love them every day? Of course. Yeah. And it's like the Road Warriors were cooler than Demolition, but that was more to do with the fact that, like, I think the powers of pain were more like the Road Warriors, and frankly... 
Now, I mean, Hawk and Animal were better promos, so obviously the Road Warriors were the best, but that's really all they had was they were better promos. No, I would argue that Demolition are better promos than Hawk and Animal because Hawk and Animal had to have a manager do a lot of their talking. They got to be good at promos in the 90s when they'd been wrestling for 10 years, but Demolition was just better at... Dude, the 80s? I posted this on our Twitter, but when when Hawk does that promo saying he's gonna sexually assault Ric Flair, or he's like, when he's like, "Oh yeah, well you going to put the figure four on me? Well I'm going to get hard. <laughs> I mean, I'm <laughs> going to fuck you in the ring, sir." I mean, an argument could be made. That's not a good promo. I'm not gonna make that argument. Uh, 10 a.m. That was on. That yeah. was on a 10 a.m. Yeah. on a Christian network, and he was like, <laughs> "I got an idea for a promo." Yeah. I'm fucking dick is hard, and I'm inside, and I filled you with milk. Oh, that's my finisher. Also not, not, not <laughs> live. Edited. They shot that, watched it back, and went. I see nothing wrong with this. <laughs> yeah, they were like, you know what? In three weeks, the good people of Georgia are going to be. Um, also, fun facts about the post WrestleMania roster: uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and Ken Pantera uh, also joined the roster. Bam Bam Bigelow, of course, uh, debuted at a wrestling event at Studio Fifty Four that Paul Heyman put on, and Ken Pantera was let out of literal jail. Welcome to wrestling in the eighties. It's Yolo. real fun. Um, Hobson makes the point in the uh, in the research, and I actually just would like to discuss this: Is this the most iconic group of wrestlers put together at any time in history? Dylan, comment. Yes, because I think that they pivot really quickly. I don't think they get enough. They certainly have the talent at their disposal to do it. But if you think about how the landscape shifts, Hogan is static on top. But like just the heel factory they have for Hogan, um, you think about Piper. Piper's now out of wrestling for a couple years. So they elevate Savage and DiBiase. And these are two very, ex- like, all-time great talents that are right there just waiting to be incorporated. So I think talent-wise, it's kind of like, how would you want to say? It's kind of like how they burn through talent the way, like, oil. It's like a non-renewable resource where it's like all this talent's been really well brought up through the territories getting to be the star of the show. So then when it's their time to be on the card, they know how to be the star, if not only for five minutes, just in any way they're really needed. And then the second wave of that obviously comes through in the 90s, uh, where everyone is a veteran of their own territories and their own work, but it's not as deep as this talent pool who've been on television and working at the... Like, there's a difference between getting reps at the top of a territory versus getting reps... Being in mid-card, wanting to be at the top. Absolutely. You know? I couldn't agree more. Also, a very important footnote. This is when Bruce Pritchard joins the company, leaving the Houston Territory, as the Houston Territory essentially falls apart, which resulted in Paul Bosch, the head of the Houston Territory, ripping Vince McMahon off for the box office because he didn't trust Vince McMahon. Um, of course, Paul Bosch claimed it was because Vince McMahon went back on the deal, and I believe both of them. <laughs> And this is uh, this is when they bring in the Million Dollar Man, who hadn't been seen in the WWF for seven and a half years, and they start pronouncing his name DiBiase instead of DiBiase, which for some reason they used it. What's Ted DiBiase? That was wrestling at the chase. It's Ted DiBiase. He punched him. That's his finisher. Now the kissing. <laughs> in a similar way to the in the AWA, they called it a play. <laughs> A souple, yes, which still gets on uh, amateur wrestlers' nerves to this day. That pro wrestling took what is actually called the souple and turned it into the suplex because it sounds more fun. And now, in actual fighting, they call it a suplex. And every time you say that, amateur wrestling dies a bit. <laughs> so we're going to take a break and uh, come back with more of 1987 Vince McMahon after this. Oh, hi, everyone. I think you're all wondering, does Dylan use condoms? No, and that's why you need to donate to Patreon, because he has a lot of children his wife doesn't know about. I am the king. I coined the phrase risky cream pie, (laughs) and you need to give to Patreon to help my maybe there's a baby fund. Patreon.com backslash wrestler review. If you don't want to do that, uh, you're a fucking loser, but if you're still a fucking loser and you're okay with that, rate us on iTunes. It does help with the algorithms. 
for old fucking uh, Steve Slobs' goddamn Apple things. So rate us on iTunes, rate us on SoundCloud, rate us in real life, 1 to 10. Here's a hint, we're both 10s. Let's talk about the AWA, Dylan's favorite wrestling league. Here's why he liked the AWA. Mostly white yeah. people promoted Buck Zumoff. Dylan loves pedophiles. Oh, yeah. that was It was mostly the, the waist locks. I love a good waist lock. I like a nice rest hold headlock followed by no moves of impact followed by a bald man wearing a sport coat. <laughs> this is what he's talking about, of course, the St. Paul Civic Center. Uh, the WWF starts running it in 1987, which is the final nail in the coffin for the AWA. Is it the final nail in the coffin? No, because Vern refuses to sell and starts doing shows in an empty, uh, which now seems so funny because they just have to do this, but they do it in an empty arena. And uh, instead of it just owning that it's an empty arena, they painted people on the sides in the 90s, which is super He cool. somehow blamed that on Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff, of course, denies that he did that. Uh, also at this time, uh, Rick Rude uh, jumps from WCCW, and the Midnight Rockers move from the AWA. And this is a fun one. May In May, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Iron Sheik get caught with weed and coke. Yeah. Everyone, everyone thinks of it being... Uh, big because of kayfabe but vince mcmahon just was like fuck you we fucking have a family goddamn image here and you guys are getting caught with weed and coke but just another way that vince mcmahon locks out because no one gives a shit about the weed and coke they just care that a bad guy and a good guy were traveling together what's also interesting is that uh, hacksaw jim duggan's character was essentially made a lot goofier from this moment and a supposed push to be the second tier biggest babyface in the company was canceled uh, at this moment. And he never, ever got past sort of being mid-card, very popular wrestler. Essentially, Hacksaw Jim Duggan was the Zack Ryder of this era, where the fans fucking loved him. Really? Because he, he still went over people in like one mat, a lot of matches. Did he? What matches did he win? I don't know. That was three. No, if you watch any of the old WrestleManias... He, he gets like a count out victory against a lot of people, but he was basically, he was positioned to be like, he's a guy you know who's going to lose to the big heel that will lo lose to Hogan eventually. Yeah, but he was still kept strong. Do you understand? Like, he was not like Coco Beware. But I don't think that that was intentional. I think that that's because Hacksaw Jim Duggan was so fucking charismatic and you just watch him and you're like, I fucking like this guy. I hope he fucking... No, you know what it was, which is legitimately what it was. So I'm looking at his win-loss record right now. Uh, by that, I mean, of course, Dylan has memorized that. He doesn't need to look. At Dylan's memorized it. I never, obviously, ordered the pay-per-views, so I would just see him beat people on TV. So he's like 70... So he's 50-50 on pay-per-views for wins and losses and 75% on, uh, on um, TV. Yeah, all right. All right, I'll give that to you. Yeah. 82 uh we have his uh record as 82 percent uh winning rate in the wwf however in the wwe he's 50 50 exactly wcw 65 percent so figure that out i mean he's the best in wcw comes in beats steve austin then just gets a bunch of fat oh yeah he's just the fucking he's the fucking internet killer in wcw comes in beats steve austin and then uh goes like back and forth with Vader where people are like, wow, he's really better than Vader. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's fucking great. They just fucking take a big shit over w all of the self-made WCW guys. Good shit. But yeah, Vince during this period, obviously he's doing coke. He's rubbing his fucking mushroom head into blow. He's saying, I don't do blow. I fucking blow does me, baby. And then he fucking just ta he takes what could only be described as the worst type of shit. I don't know if you guys have ever partied, but Dylan has. And I'll tell you, you I'll go. tell you a story he told me, which is every once in a while you get so dry that your dumps come out like just rocks. And then you end up crying in the yeah, shower yeah. and your name's John. Anyway, yeah, yeah. And then you collect all the dumps and you throw them at people you hate. Yeah, that's true. That's what Dylan did at Edinburgh Festival 2015. Dylan was a bad bad boy and kept all his rock shits and threw them out the fucking window. <laughs> I was a bad boy. I'm a bad... I all my rock shits. Yeah, I touched my rock shits. I'm a bad boy. And then John was like, oh, cut those up. There's probably still fucking... No, I didn't say cut them up. I said smoke them. I said smoke them. Let's smoke Let's smoke Dylan's oh, okay. dumps. Okay, well, we did. We smoked We smoked. We smoked Dylan's dumps. Smoke my shit, bud. Uh, it is August, and Bruno Sammartino is still necessary for the WWF to draw in Pennsylvania and New York. And let me tell you, I guarantee Vince McMahon fucking hates that. Because let me say this. Bruno Sammartino is right about everything he says, and I fucking hate his guts. 
I don't like Bruno Sammartino as a guy, and he's right about everything really? he's saying. He comes across like such an asshole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me tell you what I have to say. Fuck you, Bruno. Especially like Vince is on top. He's fucking Scrooge McDuck diving into pools of money, and Bruno's still like, I just don't understand why you're pushing this Hulk Hogan. He doesn't have what it takes. Yeah, Bruno's, Bruno's upset about the fact that he had to lose to Buddy Roberts like one time in the 70s. Uh, Vince, you gotta bring <laughs> you gotta bring Buddy Roberts back in so I can get my win back, which is I think where Hogan got the idea for that kind of behavior. Uh, anyway, uh, King Kong Bundy and One Man Gang tag team up against Bruno Sammartino and Hulk Hogan at a non televised match in Baltimore, Maryland. His final televised match of the Bruno, the fucking living legend Sammartino, was when he defeated Hercules, despite Hercules being an uh, Andre being in Hercules's corner. Holy fucking shit! Bruno then did Cullen commentary for about six months and then spent twenty years just calling essentially Vince McMahon a gay guy in the press <laughs> calling up hey I know your secret you're gay <laughs> that's click. basically what he says he's like he, essentially part of it I guarantee is Bruno is a wildly massive homophobe and didn't like the fact that he probably didn't know that Pat Patterson was gay he just saw Pat Patterson wearing a, um, a he saw Pat Patterson wearing a colored t-shirt Ab- absolutely not Pat that is a woman's shirt. Uh, no, it is not. Yes, it is. And left. <laughs> well, also that Bruno was vehemently against steroids and in one of the greatest foretellers of basically like Bruno died. What was Bruno like 80 and like a jacked up playboy the whole time? And uh, all obviously we know how all the 80s wrestlers die clean 20 years before oh at least they love to get those needies including unfortunately bruno's own son which that doesn't fucking help your cause does it so september the pile driver the wrestling album two comes out baby. yeah baby soul bro performed by slick <laughs> one of the most racist videos you'll ever see in your goddamn life. dylan watches it every time he wants to get an erection and pleasure his wife it's my alarm clock Ooh, time to wake up this is very important, though. On September 23rd, Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan uh, form their, pardon me, on their form their on-screen friendship, leading to the fucking mega powers goddamn colliding. And I think that the Trump, the deal at the Trump Plaza, really does rob us of one of the greatest live events ever. Oh yeah, because it's the the thing, and we'll get into it when we get to 1988. But it's basically Vince McMahon makes a classic deal with Donald Trump to, to have the the two WrestleManias take place at Trump Plaza for guaranteed money, which is really smart because he knows he's not going to be able to recreate the box office live but we'll be able to recreate the box office pay-per-view so why spend the money on promotions let's make a deal where it's guaranteed money coming from the trump organization and we can concentrate on pay-per-view revenue which is what they do the problem is is the crowd doesn't care for by the way i'm gonna say wrestlemania 4 i'm really excited for that's one of my favorite wrestlemanias that's all of the fun wrestlers from this time period all smashed together. It's the best Gorilla and Jesse have ever been on commentary. Oh, it's all fucking so exciting. Also, in October of that year, superstar Billy Graham uh, takes his last match, gets kayfabe injured by one-man gang, and Don Morocco comes in and he starts managing Don Morocco. I want to take a moment here and just discuss the brilliance that is Hulk Hogan transitioning wrestlers out and that he never does this again. Oh, yes. What, what do you mean? All of the old guard of his dad's company, all of the guys that were drawing money as early as seven, eight, nine, ten years before this, still active in the company, still part of the company, and are slowly phased fucking out. As opposed to now, where they're either just left on top for 12 years to the point that everyone fucking hates them, and then they have to do a match that's essentially a weird Saturday Night Live sketch, but written by Bruce Pritchard, where John Cena's in the NWO and everyone hates their life, or... They're never put in a position of prominence and they just go away eventually because they get too old. This is the amazing time where everyone kind of seems like they get to their point and they're they're kept at their place for a while and then they slowly recede back down the card with the exception of Hulk Hogan. And that all does come from Vince McMahon. What we know about Vince McMahon now know is that this transitioning was done by him. He was very much involved in the positioning of talent. And this is, I think, George Scott is still the booker. George Scott is not making these decisions. George Scott was very much a part of superstar Billy Graham putting on a gi and being karate Billy Graham. 
But this is Vince McMahon's vision. This is why he never transitions anyone out again is because this is his vision and his vision has come to fruition and he's been vindicated for everything he thought wrestling should be during this year. So it's very easy to phase these people out, especially when superstar Billy Graham legitimately needs new hips and Bruno is probably just like spitting on the warlord every time he sees them. Yee, you're a bad, bad boy. Needles per. Yeah. Pick it up. Pick what up? The spit. Give me back the spit. Put the spit in what? my mouth. Yes. Scrape it off your scrape it off your man boob. Put it in my mouth. <laughs> okay. No, I'm eye contact. Don't fucking blink. I own you. I guarantee Bruno's one of those guys that's incredibly genetically gifted, and then but just he like chalks yeah. it, he chalks it up to weird thing. He's like, I do eleven squats a day. Everyone else does ten. No, Bruno. <laughs> but this is very interesting because superstar Billy Graham and Bruno San Martino leaving in the same month. Essentially, the guy that replaces them, Hulk Hogan, is the perfect for Vince McMahon Jr. melding of exactly. Those two he's not. He's not the asshole, stubborn, protect his spot completely. Bruno, who would fuck over the promoter. He's the like, you protect me. I'll be loyal only to the promoter with the care, the charisma of Billy Graham. Oh, fuck me. Hulk Hogan is. Ex- but he looks like a big, friendly steroid addict. Yeah. He- Whereas like Bruno is like a short, friendly uh, muscle man. I would and not describe Billy Bruno Graham as a big steroid. Addict. San Martino is friendly. Bruno San Martino looks like the kind of guy that is way too like physically descriptive of a woman's vagina. Uh, I, I like the labia to be three millimeters. <laughs> Who is that guy? I don't, Have you ever met that? Guy? Yeah, Bruno Sammartino. I met him at a, where they said where they said labia. Yeah, it's the, the labia. Hey, he also talks like a racist Italian. He's like, oh, for sure. I made a pizza. I made I made a pizza and all of the pepperonis are cut like a Euclidean, small and like uh, a fascism and not necessary. <laughs> Voting is contrived. <laughs> also, if you, by the way, I know you're not supposed to believe in stereotypes, but Mussolini giving a speech on a balcony is the most Italian thing I've ever seen in my life. Which at one point, I don't speak Italian, but at one point he goes, yeah, and then crosses his arms and then just paces back and forth behind the microphone for a while. Like every Italian dad in the neighborhood I grew up in that was upset that his son didn't do something that he definitely didn't tell his son to do (laughs) all right november 18th this is uh the genesis of the hulk hogan ted dibiase feud just like i'm saying you get roddy piper Uh, out excuse me it's dibiase you get ted dibiase to take his place and this also continues a tradition where it's like the they essentially push this dude immediately because he's got the goods and good lord, I think Ted DiBiase is one of the most underrated professional wrestlers of if the 80s, certainly, and if not all time, just because he never got a fucking title. No. Whereas if it's now, he has the title four times. Bad pecs is part of his problem. Um, he does have, like, he's clearly, like, one of the only dudes to not do steroids. He just does fucking, he does beers and push-ups just like his daddy did. Yeah, here's the other thing you have to remember at Ted and DiBiase. He was a big threat to the NWA because he was one of the guys lined up to be one of the NWA champions. A thing that's not often addressed in the takeover is that the NWA essentially had to keep putting the belt on flair because the WWF, intentionally or not, kept scooping up their talent right as they were ready for a title shot with the exception of Kerry Von Erich, who got the belt for 18 days and the NWA was like we got to get this belt off that guy he's pawned it four times and he just keeps <laughs> calling my kids asking him for money hey it's a modern day warrior carry on eric you could you just go to western union i just need like 20 bucks for the <laughs> oh, yeah. um and ted db also was Teddy was gonna be this, and they, by the way, tried to fuck him over. But the NWA supposedly started a rumor that still follows Ted DiBiase to this day that he bragged in a bar that he was getting the NWA title, which is why the NWA title was never put on him. Now he claims this wasn't true, and I believe him because Ted DiBiase was raised by two wrestlers. His grandfather, father, and mother were all wrestlers. He basically just 
knew from the moment he could walk, you never talk about the business. And if you'll notice, still hasn't really given any shooter interviews, doesn't address the business. The most he's ever done is he came forward and said, Eric Bischoff's a bit of a bitch. He doesn't like Eric Bischoff. That's the only thing. <laughs> and he has the fucking uh, the minister thing to fall back on now, which is good. Oh, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's so weird. And his kid tried to be a wrestler, and everyone thought he was going to be successful. That did not I, work not out. Not everybody. I saw that bl- that fucking plain Jane and thought fucking... Dude, I thought they fucking looked so... I uh, thought the him and Cody Rhodes looked so fucking... I was like, these guys look like just such fucking shitty jocks. It was just like, instead of evolution, it should have just been like, they all come out in Letterman's jackets and uh, then uh, put their two fingers up to someone in the front row, and the front row's like, oh, he's like, yeah, that was in my ass. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been fucking great, actually. And just like, <laughs> I put it in my ass, and then I put it in your mom, and then I put it to your nose. Fuck off. And then just take money. <laughs> <laughs> I got pink, I got pink eye from me licking too much pussy. <laughs> 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 to be fair, though, I will say I'm not the best judge of it because it was 1980s, early 80s wrestling, but Ted DiBiase in like all those early 80s territories i watch him and then i watch him as the million dollar man and it just seems like he made this leap of like a thousand a thousand years in like eight years and his son never got that chance certainly it's also because ted dibiase as the million dollar man there's context to everything he does he can be a chicken shit piece of shit because he's this rich wealthy entitled fuck oh the million dollar man is one of the best unaddressed gimmicks ever like it's it's so fu- it's so much better than it even gets credit for and it gets a lot of credit and it's evocative like you, you hear the million dollar man you know ex- this is this is a amazing era for just like vince mcmahon not overwriting things and just trusting no. people think about how evocative the million dollar man versus the one man gang like you know exactly who those two people are even the people on the intercode, the Jumping Bomb Angels. These are great names. Yeah. This is why Dylan, by the way, wanted to have a tag team called the... the. I can't think of anything. I'm sorry. Oh, shit. Fuck you, John. Ass shit. Yeah. Come, come, come. He wanted to <laughs> He wanted to have a tag team called the Come and Me's, and it's just Dylan just walking around, just going, could you? Um, he fucks over Jim Crockett. How oh, he, he lovely. Crockett? He really does. So... Starcade is going to be on pay-per-view emanating from a pavilion at a university in Chicago featuring Ric Flair versus Ronnie Garvin for literally no fucking reason. Uh, and Vince McMahon promotes uh, Survivor Series on the same fucking day. Crockett says we'll just go in the afternoon and then people can watch a day of wrestling and we'll package it. For some reason, he thought Vince would go for that. He did not and said you can either carry Survivor Series or you can carry this fucking loser. By the way, remember when I made you all fucking $10 million like a few months ago? Yep, you're right. We will just take fucking Starcade. Um, a few places <laughs> a few places did not. The Carolinas, San Francisco, San Diego, and I believe Kentucky were a few of the places that didn't, uh, did not take that deal. And we're like, fuck you, Vince. You don't tell us what to do. <laughs> yeah exactly they just fucking fucked him over in a very meany thing to do but obviously a very very smart ruthless decision and this is really vince mcmahon's legacy not all the stuff to this point the cre- the creative success he's had uh is one part of his legacy but it's just so good in the in the best year that they the most indicative year of wwe maybe let's say 1987 is that you have this event too where he just completely fucks over his competition who well he kind of has to are, his competition really. the argument i would make though is he kind of has to if he doesn't burn this fucking bridge crockett catches up and then you're splitting you think so no i don't think he catches up but he gains ground and part of the he, he just it, wrestling is for children it's like it's like you you have two things like it's like you have of course, of course. By the way, Dylan brings up children again because he's a pedophile. Go ahead. But you have the same product, and you're trying, and one is aimed at children, and one is aimed at weird adults. I don't know. It's like two TV shows almost. It's like they're wrestling. Yes, it's it's wrestling, but it's not wrestling. It's two different TV shows completely. One is filmed in front of fifty people, and you can hear 
individual people heckling the wrestlers and the other one is sleek filmed in front of thousands like it's not hard to prove that one is better than the other that being said for sure you're gonna do shitty moves like this um in december the slammies it's the last slammies until 1994 but good lord if you want to see cocaine as a television show you look at these. i don't understand why they did this event it doesn't make any fucking sense it was beautiful The only thing I watched a bit of it and the thing I just kept on thinking of was like, wow, these guys did coke when they wrestled. Imagine, imagine how much coke they did here. Yeah, of course. Well, it's, it's the fucking 80s. He's got $10 million he made in a day. His major (laughs) competition, his major competition has just bought a bunch of stuff from a noted fucking racist loser in the UWF sale. Um, yeah, that's another thing this too. Is a, yeah, this is the other thing is that there's a couple of things that happen. So, um, Vince gets Houston. Vince gets Houston, which cuts off a huge major source of revenue for world class because while Paul Bosch and really Bruce Pritchard presents Houston like it was a territory, it wasn't. It was a town promoted by an old wrestler named Paul Bosch who made his own TV with the same wrestlers from Dallas. It's the same thing that joe blanchard did in san antonio all of texas was actually controlled by fritz von erich which is why he had so much money and time to be able to destroy the souls of his kids now without the von erichs being hot in dallas or the income coming in from houston dallas is fucking weak also fucking joe blanchard has shut his doors because tully i assume just did something really weird like hate his kid and make his kid live with magnum ta and be a bad guy (laughs) You listen to him, fuck. He'll teach. Yeah, you. Be- he beat me in a cage. So guess what? He's your daddy. Um, dad, that's not. Shut the fuck up. I need to do coke. I have to go do cocaine right before a business deal. Um, then, um, world class is basically on its last fucking legs. Is manipulated into leaving the NWA by Bill Watts. Bill Watts then up and sells to Jim Crockett, so he gets a bunch of money. And essentially, by the way, that move right there. Garon fucking tease Vince McMahon's fucking victory because Bill Watts is smart enough in the business to understand that Jim Crockett isn't going to use this properly. Like everyone sort of saw it, everyone at the time saw it as a bad fucking idea, except for Bill Watts, who of course was laughing all the way to the bank and made sure to bonus out the hired pedophile that he kept as a booker. Um, (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, Vince McMahon was. This is professional wrestling. There is no shortage of definite pedophiles. Oh, yeah. John, on that note, what's your favorite thing about 1987? This is, I just, I'm, I love that Vince McMahon does everything right. It's so interesting watching just a guy that we've come to revile. Just this, you see the justification for everything he does. He does, this is when he was right about everything. He was listening to the right people. He was taking credit for the right things and getting the right people to do the jobs. And now it's like, all right, who's in charge of booking? Freddie Prince Jr. Who's in charge of the children? Buck Zumoff. <laughs> but we've said this, and we've said it, we said it on the last show, which was, no, the last show on the WrestleMania 1 show, where it's like, he needs time off he doesn't take vacations the one last time he took a vacation he came up with the idea for wrestlemania i'm not saying that would happen on his next vacation but it's like you need time to think about other things you can't just constantly be going also this was 33 years ago he's a young man at this point and it is weird to think of like him as a relevant person again and he's on good new cocaine like there's like i know that sounds a bit harsh but that it is a fucking barbiturate it's a huge mental stimulant it is helpful at the beginning, and then you just you do it too much, and then you get into a steroid trial, and uh, eventually you just end up being the craziest fuck in the fucking fuckhouse. Fuck me. Fuck you. Yeah, baby. I think the best thing about it was WrestleMania 3. Not me. What, a, what an event, John. More of a WrestleMania 4 and 7 guy. But, I mean, that's obviously the peak of wrestling for Wrong. years and years and Wrong. years. And now not thinking about the recent big draws where it's like now people are weird because they'll just go to something because it's a brand. It doesn't really need to connect. Let's see how that goes post lockdown. I have a feeling WrestleManias will be heading right back to arenas, everybody. I got news for you. Vince McMahon is in for a fucking world of hurt. The This recent time, he better remember the fucking lean times of how to get an audience back. He has lost a lot of ground in terms of goodwill with his audience. He has, but they just made like a quarter of a billion for, dollars. Yeah, but for now. The, 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 he can lose that very easily. WCW WCW made $30 million and then lost $200 million. 
it's not it's not the hardest thing in the world to really fuck yourself, especially if you're an old cokey weirdo that your solution to profits is fire only the people my most vocal critics love. <laughs> so what is the uh, what is the worst thing about 1987? Ooh, a lot of bad stuff happens. For Vince McMahon specifically, That's what I'm trying what's to the think. worst thing? Hmm. Hmm. I don't think there's anything really that's bad i mean maybe him you what weirdly i think maybe the fact that he doesn't find a spot for uh billy graham just because billy graham sues the shit out of him and is a vocal opponent of his in the steroid trials i know it sounds really weird yeah that's a good one this is how good the year he has is is this round was really weird and avant-garde but it's like if he if Billy Graham's better as a color commentator, then maybe the during the steroid trials, Billy Graham comes out and goes, Vince never told us to do anything. We do it because we make that choice. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm going to say, yeah, we're, 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 worst know, thing though. is losing Bruno. I'm going to say that's the worst thing because okay. Bruno is worse than Superstar and that Superstar lacks a certain level of credibility because Superstar is like, steroids are bad by the way <laughs> i do steroids while bruno <laughs> bruno can with all honesty say i never did steroids look at how fucking good i am at everything fuck you vince mcmahon it's it's that that's the difference right there between the two of them so i'd say the worst yeah, thing is bruno true. bruno leaving and becoming a vocal fucking critic of professional wrestling is i think the worst part of 87 which is really saying something that the worst part of your year is an annoying man leaving that's true also uh also right. i would also like to throw out that jim the anvil Nightheart doing something that involves the world interfering as a crime and this is the first i've heard of it really shows how bad how fucking go ahead wrestling used to be it is fucking crazy. It is fucking crazy that they're like, uh, Billy Graham works till he has no hips, and now it's like, hey, I think Daniel Bryan might have a concussion. He's out for a month, which I think is good. I think that's the good decision. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, But this is true in general. Sports at this time, it's literally like, oh, the quarterback was decapitated. Well, fucking tape his head back on. It's the third fucking <laughs> quarter. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, yeah. Watching, I watched some old ESPN stuff where they, talk about like uh football used to be a physical game and it's like they were talking about uh guys who like have at that point it was like 1999 and a good portion of those players have just like committed suicide because oh, they had so many look at fucking hockey in our lifetime it used to ha still had players that wouldn't wear helmets because it's like um how am i supposed to move my head <laughs> All right, so uh, that's a, that's the fucking it for this fucking show. You don't know what ne it's next week. You're not good at numbers. It's 1988, you fat. Yeah, bitch. fucking pick up the carbs. Be happy with who you are. Big is beautiful. Ooh, yeah. In my mind, everybody have a big bag of chippies at home. Big bag of chippies because you're inside. Then you know what? Open the b bottom of the bag of chips. Put your put your fucking dick or your pussy in there. Have a good fuck yeah, man. Give yourself a fucking treat. Why is it for your date? Sometimes you want to just fucking jack off on food. Jack off, get the salt in your wounds and make yeah, it Yeah, baby, get yourself a bar and a fucking bag of chips, man. Get yourself a, a can and a bar and a bag of chips and suck each other off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, fucking. Of course, we're on uh, Instagram and Twitter, at Wrestle Review, the Wrestle Review podcast on Facebook. Uh, we're on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Wrestle Review. The last episode we recorded was Haku. And we'll be doing a Lex Luger series coming up soon. And I think we're going to do some other fucking losers. Maybe Jamie Dundee. Who knows? We're also going to do one on Dylan because Dylan's a fucking loser, bud. No, we're going to do one on me and how sick my fucking online wrestling career is. I've won a lot of titles. I've won a lot of fucking titles. Guys, go follow Dylan on social media. He's doing a lot of fun videos. I am doing almost nothing on social media because I fucking have shared myself enough with you fucking piranhas. Now, ah, ha, ha. yeah, we do one thing a week. Fuck off. Suck it off. Oh, yeah. We're on TikTok now. I post a video a day of just the creepiest wrestling stuff I can Do find. you actually? Yep. I don't know how to use TikTok. I got to tell you. That's just a minute long video. The last one I posted was uh, Road Warrior Hawk threatening to assault Ric Flair with his penis. Every time I use any type of nouveau social media, I just get criticism from Colt Cabana and I could just live without that. So instead, I just don't post. That's Colt Cabana's all over oh, TikTok. Oh, of course honey, he fucking is. That guy loves some social media. He loves posting. those dances. Of course he does, bud. 
He loves to dance. I get criticized from uh, Scott Armstrong. Me and Scott Armstrong are very close. So anyway, sorry, Scott Armstrong is calling me. I have to go. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. You guys are the best. Oh, what's that, Scott? (laughs) Brad. (laughs) I'm not hanging out with Brad. (laughs) 